wanted to kind of revisit something that came out, uh, a topic that came out last week and put everyone into a complete um, meltdown about, you know, health officials saying, you've got to cap your drinks at two a week, no more. And then, of course, everyone rolled their eyes. Uh, maybe that's because the data doesn't add up. Uh, the paper claims that the alcohol causes nearly 7,000 cancer deaths, possibly a year in Canada, and then we don't get a lot more data. It claims two drinks a day will lead to an 89% increase in the chance of women contracting esophageal cancer. But then you look at the numbers from the American Cancer Society, and they estimate that the risk of contracting that same cancer is one in 125 men and one in 417 women, which means two drinks a day is presenting a minimum risk. My next guess is the data just doesn't add up, that it's distorted. He would know this is his business. Let's ask Dr. Dan Malik. He's a medical historian specializing in alcohol and drug policy, the director of Center for Canadian Studies. Doctor, thanks so much for joining us. It's my pleasure. Good morning. What was it um, in this report when you saw it? Because obviously you get the headlines. Everyone sees the headlines and that becomes the talking point. But what was it that stuck out for you that didn't uh, necessarily add up? Uh, I think it was the the radical change in the recommendation. I mean, the, as as they've said, and we know the, the previous recommendation, safe drinking limit was two to three drinks a day, or some people said 15 to 10 to 15 drinks a, a week. And then when they, the, the original report came out, it was zero to two drinks a week. I thought, okay, this is, there's something very odd about this. And combine that with the fact that I've seen other stuff from this, uh, this agency that seems to be fairly restrictive on, on, uh, on its view of the place of alcohol and other substances in, in pleasure and enjoyment and, and other parts of our lives. I thought, okay, I, I want to dig a little further into this. And so it's not necessarily like they did 6,000 scientific studies um, and that's what they, they base their conclusions on. Um, yeah. But, but so that theoretically should present a nice body of evidence that you can kind of suggest and, and dig into. And yet it's so vague. And so what was it, what is it about there, even what they dig into um, that is a well, problem? Yeah, this is one of the things that struck me as odd. And I was listening to uh, early back in August, they released a public consultation document, you might remember, and then there was a lot of interviews with members of the organization, uh, the, uh, the Canadian Centre on Substance Use and Addiction. And um, they would say, you know, this is based on 6,000 study of 6,000 6, research studies and stuff like that. And but what they did is they filtered out almost all of them, they, they use 16. Uh, and the filtering process is really complicated. I've shown some colleagues of mine who should know more about this epidemiologists and that they're like, I'm not quite sure what they're doing there. And the result was 16 studies, basically one on each illness uh, in their table. A few of them were multiple um, illnesses and a focus on death. Um, and they, and, and when you do that, you're really, I mean, if you're, if you're excluding a lot of research based upon some fairly strict categories, you have to kind of ask yourself if you're being overly strict in your restrictions, because if there's that much research out there and all you're finding is very few that work for you, maybe you need to reflect on what you're actually looking for. Right, because not all not all alcohol is created equal either. Um, you got beer, well, you got liquor, you got hard liquor, you got abstinence. I mean, there's all sorts of different... Yes, according to the CCSA, um, it is all created equal because they're looking specifically at amount of alcohol 
per day or per week or per drink um, without consideration of, as you know, spirits or beer or wine. And that's one of the, the challenges I found in this was that they didn't, they don't mention at all the extensive research on the protective effects of red wine. Right. It's debatable still, but um, it's not without uh, like decades of research on what is it in wine, red wine especially, but wine in general that seems to be protective against some cert certain conditions like cardiovascular disease and other things. Um, and when you do that, it really starts to become a tell on what you're really looking for. And I think in this case, as I, I think I mentioned, the CCSA's job is to look for harm, right? And that, which, which is okay, you know, look for harm. And we, but when you do that, you can miss benefits, right? You can just go right to harm. At the beginning of their report, they talk about harms that we were looking for harms and benefits, but then very quickly benefits ceased to be an issue for them. Right. And, you know, they're consequential, these things. I mean, if you're in the business of selling booze, maybe you've got an independent store. Uh, I mean, the data is consequential because they've got not only to pay for all these labels, but if the point of a report like this, then I guess is to go further and uh, put bland packaging rules, you know, that pot and tobacco have had to, to do. Um, that That is huge for the, the liquor industry because branding is a massive part of that industry. And so there are very consequential changes that come in because of data and reports like this. Yeah. And um, I mean, the, the labeling issue is really interesting. And, and the false equivalency that a lot of these researchers make with the tobacco issue is also something that needs to be addressed more because to because the tobacco the issue of tobacco and smoking i'll say smoking because mm -hmm. you know not all tobacco created the same kind of um, harms it, it it was it was overwhelming the type of things that could be directly related to the type of cancers that could be directly related to um uh smoking but in this research um even something as high incidence as breast cancer if you, you know a woman talks to her doctor about breast cancer risk, there's a lot of factors that go into your breast cancer risk or low risk, right? So this is just equating a disease with drinking without a lot of the sophisticated sort of discussions you need to have with um, your physician, right? right? And you mentioned, which one did you mention? Laryngeal cancer, esophageal mm -hmm. cancer. And it's that same kind of thing where it's a, the other side of it is, you know, breast cancers on one side, it's fairly high incidence relative to other cancers. But on the other side, you've got all of this relative risk of, of diseases that A, have a lot of other factors that go into them, and B, are really low incidence. And it's kind of building a panic that I think uh, we've heard a lot about in the last week. That's why I'm still talking mm -hmm. about it. Um, and uh, it, it, it can itself cause health harms like panic, anxiety, stress. These things do have negative health outcomes as well, which is why I called it reckless. Well, not to mention, I mean, the last thing we need right now at a time, I think, when uh, trust in health, you know, uh, direction is uh, not exactly at a strong point is for people to think that maybe the data is being torqued or spun um, for a particular, you know, uh, narrative. I mean, we just can't toy with this stuff. Yeah, yes, I agree. And and this is one thing I've tried to make very clear. So I did this Twitter, th Twitter thread on this last week, which kind of went mm -hmm. uh, went off the rails. And immediately I had people saying, yeah, the public health, like what else have they done? And I thought, and I had to modify this by saying, look, uh, this is very different than sort of the 
the health issues in an emergency situation like a pandemic, right? Like these researchers have had decades to reflect on this and to look at this and to analyze this. Whereas, you know, and I was like, I, I've got my vaccinations, I followed the masking guidelines, all of these things, but but it, it does sort of fuel people's ire and um, uh, skepticism, right? And I, I wasn't trying to do that. I was looking specifically at a certain sort of uh, neo, what I call a neo temperance view of of alcohol and the harms associated that completely remove any consideration of the benefits. I didn't want to make a bigger statement about public health because that's yeah. not that's not the point here. I mean, there are other things to say about the health industry and public health, but this is just about alcohol. But I, and I worry that it kind of yeah, it's it can be irresponsible that way, as you say, because it can encourage people to just say, oh, forget it. Just why are we paying attention to these people at all? Yeah, here they go again. Yeah, no question yeah. about it. Well, look, I thought it was very interesting. I did see that Twitter thread, which is why it caught my eye. Uh, yeah. So nonetheless, the debate will go on and uh, we'll share uh, debates over drinks, I'm sure. And, um, you know, onward and upward. But I appreciate your time on this. Thanks, Alex. Cheers. Eddie. Dr. Dan Malik, who, uh, like he knows this guy, he knows his stuff. He's a medical historian. His expertise is in alcohol and drug policy. And so... Yeah, he parsed the numbers and they don't add up. I think it's just it's common sense, moderation in everything.